This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here, and today we are talking with Nancy Matajasek. Nancy is the founder and CEO of Manifest Solutions, an IT consulting firm. During our time with Nancy, we talk about her story and the story of Manifest Solutions. Early on, we touch on how Nancy learned the IT market from her customers and how that helped shape her career. I basically got the question, what do you know about IT? I said, absolutely nothing. I said, but what I do know is how to listen. My job here is to understand the problem, understand how to solve this, but I need you to teach me. I learned the industry from the client's perspective day one. But when you learn it from that side, it paints a totally different picture than learning it from a vendor trying to teach you how to sell to a client. Later, we talk about the success of Manifest Solutions Bootcamp program and how it came to be. And my partner came to me and said, you know, I have an idea about a bootcamp. Let's start raising our own talent. The industry had just gone through that recession of 08, 09. And I love the idea of investing in young talent, but training them not only on the technical stuff, but creating professionals, not just coders. Because you can be a coder, but not a professional. We wanted them to be system engineers. We wanted the whole package. And we wrap up with how Nancy found the right niche for Manifest Solutions by targeting mid-market clients and showing them how IT could be a money saver instead of a cost center. There was a market open for that mid-market client, right? That $40, $50 million client, which really doesn't get a lot of attention from the big consulting firms. And I found a very big loyal client base there because again, they didn't really understand a lot of times how IT could help them, these CEOs. So I was able to walk in there and talk with them about how can we make money for you with IT, where they thought it was going to be a cost center. I was able to help them understand how it can make money for them. All right, everybody, that's it for me. Let's dive right into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike. We've got uh, just me and Josh today in the booth. Josh, what's going on? Not too much, dude. I think I talked about this last time, but we're in the the peak 14 days of Ohio weather. That is like my all-time favorite, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm mm-hmm. just relishing every moment of it. Things are good. It's September. We're closing in on the end of Q3 for most people. I'm sure everybody's busy, and uh, it's fun time to be in Columbus. Yeah, I think Q3 has nothing to do with Columbus, but it is a fun time to be there. Well, Q3 is on my so, mind. So, so now, <laughs> you know, go ahead and roll just, into the interview. Just so everyone knows it's on my mind because that's what's important around here. But it's yeah, honestly just Mike's world and we're all visiting for a short amount of time. That's probably For him, true. the shorter, the better, because then he gets more things. I mean, it could be a Mike's simulation, but, you know, don't get me started on that one. But uh, we'll dive into the interview here. And uh, today on the show... We're going to be talking with Nancy Matajasek, and Nancy is the founder, president, and CEO of Manifest Solutions here in Columbus. Manifest Solutions is an IT consulting firm providing a full range of offerings, including professional services, staffing, education, and support. And in 2021, Manifest ranks as the 18th largest woman-owned business in Columbus, the 22nd largest IT consulting firm, and seventh in CEO Magazine's top workplaces. Nancy has worked in the IT field for over 34 years, and in 2018, she was named a Columbus Tech Power Player and was a C-Suite Award winner in 2016. She credits her amazing team for making Manifest a destination workplace for experienced IT professionals, as well as young talents starting their careers who are passionate about their profession and looking to make their mark on the industry. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Nancy. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you here. We appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. One of the first places we like to start is just get a little background on yourself, your story. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the big highlights along the way, maybe as far back as have you always lived in Columbus? I'm a Clevelander, actually, so I'm an import. My husband actually is from here. I remember when I first moved here, I didn't think anybody actually was from here because everybody I talked to, it's like, well, I came here from a different town. So uh, I found that interesting. So I am a graduate of Ohio State. Go Bucks. Yes. <laughs> Class of 1986. The Ohio State yeah, University. Yeah, the Ohio State University, dating myself back there. What did you study while at Ohio State? I wanted to be a like a marine biologist, genetic engineering type background. So 
I ended up going the Bachelor of Science route. Mm -hmm. And since I wasn't gonna be able to make any money doing that, I decided to go into pharmaceutical sales. So that's what I did right out of college. Biology major. So yeah. I, uh, I can appreciate that. Spent a lot of time in those, those buildings. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a, uh, definitely a unique major and like one of those things that I think you only choose if there was some type of deep passion, like growing up or something. So what, what inspired you to even become interested in that in the first place? I wanted to be a veterinarian and I was that kid that always brought something injured home, injured chipmunks. I found abandoned animals and I was always doing something in my basement, making my mom crazy. So after that, I was like, oh, I want to be a veterinarian. And then it just didn't work out for me, but I still had a passion for that type of, I'm a nerd. Yeah, I'm in sales, but I'm a nerd at heart. So I decided to go the engineering route in uh, biology. But then afterwards, just really didn't see myself being a research scientist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the flip side, I was planning on being a dentist and okay. then realized I absolutely did not want to be a dentist. No offense to dentists out there listening, but it just wasn't for me. And then I went right into sales. So it's just kind of like that natural progression. But how long did you spend in pharmaceutical sales? I didn't stay there very long. It was a lot of traveling. I wasn't really that into it. And I was living in Dayton at the time and I wanted to move back to Columbus. So I was uh, looking for a different job and Hoffman LaRoche Pharmaceuticals actually wanted to interview me to come to their Columbus location. So I said, all right, I'll consider it. It was going to be local. I didn't have to travel all around multiple states. And the gentleman was flying in from Washington, D.C. And he said, well, I'll meet you up at the uh, Marriott at the, at the Continent. I don't know if you guys know where the continent is now. That's not really that. It's 161, 71 area. Mm -hmm. Used to be really hip back in the 80s, but. Yeah, not so hip anymore, right? No, like, yeah. I keep dating myself. It's going to be depressing hearing this afterwards. <laughs> and when I showed up there, there was, a, uh, I guess, a, an IT recruiting convention or hiring fair going on. And there's all these men walking around. This is the 80s now, okay? It is the gray, black, blue suits, the white shirts, the Reagan power ties, right? Red and yeah, yellow. The big and ones. Yeah, and there's all these guys. I mean, there's just men everywhere. And I'm the only woman. So I went down and I said, well, I'm not going to go up to every guy and say, are you, you know, are you Jim? So I said, I'll wait for him to come to me. And some guy came up to me and said, are you Tina? I said, no. He said, well, you have to be. I said, well, I'm not. But Jim's not here, so why don't we sit and talk for a while? And he ended up being the owner of an IT consulting firm. I was going to ask how a marine biologist goes from pharmaceutical sales to IT, but yeah, I fell into it. And he, um, you know, he asked me for my resume, and then Jim showed up, and I interviewed for the job with Hoffman LaRoche. They offered it to me, but then the owner of that consulting firm kept on. It's like, hey, I really want you in this industry. I really want you in this industry. I think you're ready for it. We're opening up an office here. And I said, well, I don't want to be in IT. Why would anybody buy that? Mm -hmm. I didn't even understand what it was initially. So what made you decide to take that leap? Because that's a pretty big shift in a career, right? And something that it you is. didn't study, something you didn't have a lot of background in. What made you want to take that leap? Well, what I told them, I said, if I'm going to be the only person down here to open the office, I said, I don't really want to be trained. I just want you to, you know, I was trained in sales technically through mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry, but I didn't want to be trained in IT sales. So I wanted to learn it from the customer base. I said, don't train me. Just give me a quota and I'll meet it, beat it, or quit in 12 months. And at that time, they were offering me a whopping $22,000 a year. So, mm -hmm. And I was only making 17 at the time, so I thought that was a big leap. So I went for it. There you go. And what was the name of this firm? Was This was not Manifest, correct? This was not. This was an LDA Systems based out of Cleveland. Okay. So you, you jump into this. How long have you been in the professional world before you jump in? Just under a year doing pharmaceutical sales. Okay. So you're doing sales for about a year and then you jump into a total different industry and space. Yep. What was the company size like? I'm just trying to paint the context in my head of, of the environment that you're working in. Sure. They were fairly large in the Cleveland area. I mean, they were known there, but mm -hmm. they were trying to do an expansion in Columbus and they were looking for a salesperson. I think obviously they were looking for a woman and there was one, only one other woman sales rep in IT consulting back in the 80s. 
So I think there was a little bit of that. I don't know. I would have been something new, mm-hmm. right? Was that a challenge at all in the 80s? I mean, going around selling to IT guys in the 80s, it seems like uh, there might have been a little bit of a little bit of difficulty there. It was interesting because at that time, you know, most of the women worked for IBM and they were they were technical, mm-hmm. and IBM had a very strict dress code. Okay, you had to be in the the real high-necked, you know, white blouse with a little cameo and the pleated skirts. It was kind of like, you know, being in a uniform for school. That is not how I dress, mm-hmm. okay? And this was the 80s. Mm-hmm. All right, and I had hair. I probably <laughs> couldn't have fit into that door. I mean, it was, <laughs> at uh, one of the conferences I spoke at, I actually showed a picture of that and you had to see the look on some of these women's faces. It actually was real. I said, yes, I did that. Um, it defied gravity. But um, what was interesting is I think there was a lot of novelty mm-hmm. of me walking into the door. So I thought a lot of appointments early, but I think they wanted to see, you know, what was a woman going to talk about mm-hmm. in IT? So I basically got the question, what do you know about IT? I said, absolutely nothing. I said, but what I do know is how to listen. And I understand, you know, my job here is to understand the problem, understand the business concern, understand how to solve this but I need you to teach me. Show me what this equipment looks like. Show me what COBOL code looks like. Show me, and they did. I mm-hmm. was so lucky to be able to, I mean, I walked into the backgrounds of, you know, these operations areas. I got to see all the hardware. I got to sit in on code reviews and watch people code programs. I learned the industry from the client's perspective day one. And it was very, I mean, they even had key punch cards back when I was there. You see these women in the big machines and they would do key punch cards. Mm-hmm. I actually, a client let me, key punch card for a while to learn the business. And those women taught me things that up to that point, I'd only read in books. They were, it was, it was a cultural experience with those women back there. But, uh, but when you learn it from that side, it paints a totally different picture than learning it from a vendor trying to teach you how to sell to a client. When a client teaches you how to sell it, it's a totally different perspective. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So how long do you stay with that firm? I was with them for years, and then I spun off with a partner in a different organization, Maximation Incorporated. And so I don't want to do like a spoiler of what's to come, but I, I, I am very curious on, because even IT consulting today is very kind of a gray area for me. Like I, I, I never dove into the weeds, into the hardware, into the software, what's driving behind the scenes. Like you hear IT consultants and they talk about installing networks inside of school systems. And I'm like, why don't you just plug it into the wall? So I, I'm so ignorant and naive or whatever the right word is, just dumb. I don't know about the whole space. So how does it differ uh, to my question now? How does it differ from back then when you first got started to like what kind of projects were you focused on and, 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 and what did it look like? Well, I was one of those people as well. I thought IT people were like the dumbest people on the planet. You know, it's like, why can't you just move this, right? It can't be that hard. Well, God has a sense of humor. So when I got into this industry, I actually really learned how hard it is mm-hmm. for some of the things that people. So I got to be bilingual, right? I was able to talk business side and I was able to talk IT side. So to your question, when it comes to what's different. So when I started back in the 80s, it really was you're trying to place one person on one assignment for as long a period of time as you could, because it really wasn't the need wasn't that demanding at that point. IBM was really the lion in the market. They brought their people in. These smaller firms that came in, especially in Columbus, there really wasn't that much of, you know, I'm landing a big project of 50 people. That wasn't one I was running into. The clients that were coming to me were saying, I want one person for six months. What kind of skill? How much money are you going to charge me? 
And that's how that started. And they wanted that one person for what, what type of internal initiatives would they focus on? Custom software development. So my first person I placed in this town was a Wang VS COBOL programmer, and he worked at Sterling Software for a couple of years. Actually, I was lucky that I got a long-term assignment early, and it just kind of blew, you know, went up from there. So you spin off with a partner. Talk a little bit about the thought process behind that, and if you can reflect back, you know, the feelings that you went through emotionally uh, branching off like that. And this is the, the your first foray into entrepreneurship, correct? Yes. I always had an idea of how I would have done it differently. And I, and I will always be grateful to LDA for giving me that opportunity. I mean, here's, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid, I'm in my early twenties trying to learn a new industry, right? And they took a chance on me and they, and, and we did great. The office was extremely successful when I left. And what was interesting about going into being in partnership, I was a sales side, my partner was a technical side. And it was just, it was different looking at it from a standpoint that it was my own career I was going after when I was with LDA to now I was starting to be responsible for other people. Does that make sense? So I was starting to go for that, you know, that, that parallel course to now, it's kind of like that, you're getting into that corporate pyramid piece. And when you have to start making payroll, your brain starts to change and you're starting to look at things differently. And that organization was very, very successful. And I knew there were certain ways that I wanted to do it. And my partner and I were very aligned until the company got to about $7 million. And then we kind of, we just had a divergence of what we wanted to do with the business. And like a lot of partnerships, it just, it didn't make it. And we fought over the company. He won, I lost, and I started manifesting my kitchen. Hmm. So you said the last sitting, you might've just said it in the group and I might've missed it because I was focused on that detail. How many years did that last for in total? So that one, three years from 91 to 94. I started manifest November 1st, 1994. And how long from the point where that didn't work out to you jumped back in and just started rolling on your own thing? Were you always extremely driven and go, go, go? Or did you take any time off and reflect? So everything kind of fell apart in September of 94 with Maximation. Mm-hmm. And so I was licking my wounds a lot. I mean, I was pretty beat up. And, you know, my dad was always a real blunt guy. Love him, miss him to this day. But it was one of those things where he goes, look, I've listened to you talk now for seven years about how you would do it differently. Because you have this philosophy. I've heard you talk about it. You're passionate about it. He said, you can do anything you put your mind to. He said, but honestly, honey, quit whining. Either shut up and leave the industry or shut up and do it. But it's time. Take action or move on. And so I go, how am I going to do it? He goes, hey, if you lose everything, you lose everything. You're, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. And so my parents loaned me money and, uh, and I signed a promissory note and uh, how much I would pay him back and when. And I hung my shingle out November 1st, 94. And why the name Manifest? It was one of those things that was to shine a light upon. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I just, I was so irritated about the industry and how things were done. And I was just going to shine a spotlight on it. To me, it was kind of a spin on that. And also that to me, a lot of the, things I had been talking about that I felt were going on in the industry, I felt were destined to happen. So I was kind of bringing a couple of different perspectives together. Kind of like manifest destiny. Exactly. Yeah. In a way. Uh, So I'm curious, what were those things that you saw that you brought to this new business? What was it that stood out to you that you felt needed to be different? Well, it was one of those things that the one thing that always irritated me is why was salespeople coming in there with an answer looking for a question? Why aren't you just listening to what the client has to say? I mean, it's not that difficult. I would see my, you know, the competition out there selling the people that they had, not what the client wanted. Okay. And I got in trouble with that too. I would, you know, when I had people, what they call on the bench, which means we're paying them while they're not billing to a client. Mm -hmm. But if that person wasn't qualified, I wasn't going to present them whether they were on the bench or not. Right. I mean, there, was, there was just some things I just didn't think they would buy from them if they were being sold. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I always wanted to be that salesperson that if they, I was sitting across from myself at a table, I would buy from me. So I had to look at it from that customer's perspective. And again, I was trained by them. So I always had the customer view from the beginning. I never knew any better. Right. LDA did not train me. The customer base did. So it was very, it was an easy transition for me to go into that. And so 
it was one of those things. Also, why were things priced the way they were priced? How, why were my competitors charging so much money? What was going on with that? I wanted to get really deep into the weeds on what were the budgets like for the clients. I sold to CFOs because I wanted to understand what budgets meant. Not that they were ever going to take any of my consultants, but I want to understand what is your budgeting cycle? What impacts your business? What makes you, you know, give this much money to a project versus this money? Because I needed to understand it from their perspective. Why are you spending this money and what are you expecting to get out of it? There has to be a return. Mm -hmm. And then how was I going to use consulting in the IT space to bring money to that area? Because if IT wasn't going to enable money to happen, then there's no reason to pay for us. And so you start on... November 1st, right? 1994. And you're looking at it and you- 1997. So, 1997? No, no, 94. 94, 94. Okay. He's trying to call me I out. can't wait to get to 97. I'm so excited <laughs> for it. But uh, so, so you start on November 1st and you have the sales skills, but what are you selling at this point, right? Do you have to go make, you have relationships with previous consultants that you've worked with in the past or because you were making those placements before. What is the, Correct. what are you, what does that relationship look like now? And then how has that scaled over time? Okay, so the first person I sold when I had Manifest was me. Mm -hmm. I ended up being a, um, a coach for Nationwide Insurance. They had a bunch of developers that were going to go into their first management position, and they were asking me to coach them on what was that going to take. And I really was really there to teach them communication, internal sales, how do you provide value. So I was my first contractor. And I had a network at that time, and I also used outsourced recruiting to help me get people. And I worked out of my kitchen, literally. And as I hired internal staff, my house had empty bedrooms, so I just put desks in there. <laughs> so my folks had garage door openers, and they would come in and out of my garage and work. And I can only imagine what my neighbors thought <laughs> as they saw um, people coming in and out of my house all day. But that's how we did it. We, um, I used a borrowed PC and a borrowed fax machine mm -hmm. to get the business started. And when I hired people on, it was buying used equipment and we were using floppy disks. That was our file sharing. So it was pretty, pretty rough, but they were a committed group. They were, you know, willing to work hard and um, folks listened to the message. I was able to tell people like, look, I'm going to let you know how much money I'm billing for you. I'm going to let the client know how much your compensation is. Everything is going to be on the table. Everything's going to be wide open. And that way, you know, trust starts there. Mm -hmm. And you're going to know you're going to get paid. You're not going to get paid on time. And it was really always about respect, trust, and open communication. That's how I started the business. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Are there any major inflection points as you press forward? Like I'm thinking through, it's like, you know, the first time I hire an employee or the first time you get to 10 employees or the first time you start taking on a new type of work or the first time a new technology is introduced. So, you know, talking about the web 2.0 versus the growth of web 3.0, like not that you've gone through all those already, but do the major inflection points stick out? And if so, what are those for you? It comes down to a philosophy of always trying to wanting to be relevant, right? Because you have to be in, in, Consulting or any sort of IT scenario, even software companies, right? You can kind of stick a stake in the ground with a certain technology and that thing will be very popular for a while and then it will go, right? So it's always on this. I always equate it to women's fashion, right? It's like, okay, bell-bottom pants, clunky shoes. Now it's pencil-thin pants. You know what I mean? So it, technology goes in and out like that. So you always have to remain relevant. So it's one of those things about understanding. You have to have a team around you that's extremely well-read. Folks that are out there that are constantly looking at trends in the market, you're talking to your customers, you're understanding the competition in their space. So Nationwide was a huge client of mine. So I look and see what's Geico doing, what's Progressive doing. So you kind of, you know, so that's how you stay relevant. And then you build that infrastructure around that. 
So it's not under a specific technology, but it's really understanding and keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on and being able to react to it. So what are the different types of companies that you, that you prefer, used to prefer over the lifespan of the organization to work with, like size and industry? Is there a certain uh, ICP that you go after? When I first started, I remember actually when I first got into the industry, I stood on the corner of Nationwide Boulevard and High Street and I looked at Plaza One at Nationwide. I said, you're going to know me. So mm-hmm. I don't know how, but I'm gonna, you're going to know me. And I ended up being a, a vendor for them for a very long time. It was one of those things where I wanted the marquee players early because that's how you were going to make your, make your mark. But as organizations, as you get to understand a company and you understand and you follow, I followed managers many times. So if a manager left a certain client and went to another client and I had a good relationship with them, my expansion of that client base grew because of those relationships. I was always based on the individual manager, not the company in general. So each manager, I felt I had to customize my approach to their success motto. I call it eHarmony. It wasn't just a technical skill. It was the personality of the individual. It was understanding what success meant to that team and making sure I put the right person that was going to just seamlessly segue into that team. And that takes a lot more work than slamming a resume in front of somebody and say, what do you think? It takes a lot more work and understanding. So as I did that, and those clients you know, really bought into that philosophy, I was able to expand that way. Then I understood that there was a market open for that mid-market client, right? That $40, $50 million client which really doesn't get a lot of attention from the big consulting firms. They want the big nationwide, the chases, the, you know, the state autos, those types of things. And I found a very big loyal client base there because again, they didn't really understand a lot of times how IT could help them, these CEOs. So I was able to walk in there and talk with them about how can we make money for you with IT, where they thought it was going to be a cost center. I was able to help them understand how it can make money for them. And that's big. And they needed to be educated. I mean, a lot of folks, they kind of get talked over especially when you're at the senior levels. And you can't. I mean, it makes sense to them. And that's, I really wanted them to feel comfortable. And I'll spend a ton of time. I'm not expecting one or two sales calls and I get it done. It could take me years to cultivate a relationship and that's fine. So I'm curious, what does the team look like today? And what are some of the projects your team works on now? So my organization diversified a ton over the past, uh, actually the past 10 years. So As we started running into the same thing and you're really seeing it amplified now Mm -hmm. with the great resignation and things that you're hearing about the IT industry, we found ourselves, especially in Columbus, there's no six degrees of separation. Everybody pretty pretty much knows everybody in IT. And we kept kind of recycling the same people over and over and over. And my partner came to me and said, you know, I have an idea. He wasn't my partner at that time. He was working with me. He says, I have an idea about a boot camp. Let's start raising our own talent. I said, well, talk to me about this. And he had a specific way he wanted it done. I love the idea. The industry had just gone through that recession of 08, 09, when mm-hmm. pretty much every market got hit and we were all kind of stumbling along. And I love the idea of investing in young talent, but training them not only on the technical stuff, but interpersonal skills. How do you create a brand for yourself? Creating professionals, not just coders. You know what I mean? Because you can be a coder, but not a professional. We wanted mm-hmm. them to be system engineers. We wanted the whole package. And so that totally re-energized me in the industry because, you know, it's, Running an organization is like raising a kid, okay? When you first start it, it's a newborn and you're all worried about it and you just watch it over all the time. Then it goes, you know, it's a toddler and it's, you know, it's doing pretty well, but it falls a lot. Then it goes into elementary school and pretty stable for a while. Then it becomes a teenager and you hate it because it talks back to you and it's real arrogant, okay? Why organization is an adult now? It's 27 or it's going to be 27. It's an adult now, right? And it's been able to expand and build upon itself. So we've done the boot camp successfully. It's now 10 years old. Mm-hmm. 
So it's in a great spot now, and it's had a huge impact in the, in the industry here. And we build our own community around this boot camp. I've got the staffing piece, which I've always done. That's the flagship. That's what I started it with. But then I created, or started, I shouldn't say created, but started a virtual IT team for organizations, owner operators that really don't understand like servers and, you know, mobile and those types of things. And how do I keep my servers secure? And now that I'm a remote team, how do I keep, you know, viruses from coming into my organization? And how do I, you know, how do I make money again using IT? I have a whole department that does that because I had that same issue. I had one guy in charge of all of my networks and I was hamstrung by what he knew. Now I have a team of five and plus a salesperson. And now that, that whole team now is able to do things not only for manifest corporate, but for owner operator clients. And it's huge. And it's had a huge impact on a lot of organizations here in town. So when you go to add a new, oh, it's not a product. What am I, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Service solution. Service, yeah, yeah. service or solution to your business. Thanks, Josh. When you go to add a new service- I'm a like, man of words. <laughs> many words. When you go to add a new service like that, how do you go about identifying and building that arm of your organization, right? Like identifying number one, of course, people are important, right? right? Finding the right people. Most but, important, yep. Yeah, and then and then building out that, that new service because, you know, going from- something you know well, like staffing and adding on a new arm can be a challenge and is a tripping point for a lot of entrepreneurs. It is. So what have you learned over time about that? And how, if you were going to do that right now, like how would you, what's your process for that? So when I started the Outsource IT group, I don't think I really understood how difficult that product line was going to, to be. So that one stumbled for quite a bit until I really understood how to get the right team together and then support them with what they needed to be successful. That's happened now. They have their own office in Worthington. They've got their team. And they are finally, instead of becoming part of the support expense on my books, because that's what they were built for, they are now making money and helping other clients out. The boot camp thing, the need was there. I mean, the talent shortage was huge in this town, even back in 08 and 09. And it's even more so now. And being able to custom train talent we know exactly now how to sell it and how to do it well because we know these people. I mean, we've been training these, I call them kids because they're all younger than me, for six weeks. So we're with them eight hours a day for six weeks. We know their strengths, we know their talents, we know. And so we're able to, instead of walking with somebody I maybe just interviewed, we know these folks and we know how to place them and the clients are, are seeing just the performance of a one and two year capability out of somebody who has got a college CIS degree or equivalent and six weeks of the training. So that was something that was invested in my partner, Chris Judd. He's the one who actually put the curriculum together and it was based on what should, what would I have liked to know when I graduated from college, but they didn't teach me. Mm -hmm. So, and off of that then came, it was all very organic. And then off of that came customized training to customers when they said they needed something that was done. The industry wasn't offering it, so we created it. Mm -hmm. So it's really all based on customer need and I'll always listen to whatever they have to say. And I'll, if I can't come up with it, I've connected them with competitors if I need to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I'm there to solve a problem, not always there to make a buck. Sounds like listening yeah, it keeps coming back. It's huge. And you got to crawl in their shoes. I mean, you really cannot look at it from only your perspective. Even the employees, it's the same thing. They're also a customer base, right? We're a customer service organization. Technology is what we do. But our employees are just as much customers as our customers are because everything's got to work. 
Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus, and we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. What about operating as a female CEO, just in general, uh, but I guess in a male-dominated industry in particular? It's interesting. I've, um, I feel, you know, I view myself just as a CEO, right? Not a female one. Mm -hmm. But there are times, I mean, it's been an interesting road over 34 years. And I think the whole industry has matured over that time. Okay. But I've had my moments when I've been name called out in public. Right. And I've had to deal with that. I was called a bitter woman once in a, in a open forum when we were debating the way a certain project was done. And he said, well, you're bitter because you didn't get the project. Like I never wanted it. But I did understand, you know, the business impact of that project. And, you know, it's all about just not taking it personally. Right. I mean, if you're going to put yourself out there, criticism is going to come. And so I never really let it bother me. And actually, I do business with that guy today. And it's really no big deal. So I've had a situation where. Most men have been extraordinarily respectful. I've had very few times that I've ever had been called out and, you know, people try to take that dignity away. You know, your dignity is yours mm -hmm. and nobody can take it from you. They can throw mud at it, right? They can try to criticize you or make you feel bad about yourself, but that dignity is yours. And if you hang on to it and you know who you are, you're fine. And my dad was all over that. He goes, know who you are and know what you stand for. Don't ever lose those two things. And he also told me, don't ever buy into your own press and don't ever blow smoke up your own skirt. Hmm. So those were, that was my dad's words of wisdom. And I stuck with those and they've served me well. Sounds like a smart guy. Very smart guy. Yeah. And so what about going forward? What are the goals for Manifest Solutions? Where do you see the future? Staying relevant. I have to tell you, especially with how things have been so crazy, right, over the past 18 months, how do you stay relevant? How do you keep moving in a world where none of us were trained to deal with this, right? I mean, I don't care how many management classes you've taken. <laughs> Nobody's given taught you a class. So we're all trying to learn these things now, right? And this is going to be something I think that as senior managers, even, you know, regardless of what level you are, we're going to have to pass this on to the next folks that are going to come up. You know, my daughter's 18, right? And I've got twins that are 12. I need to pass on to them. Look, there are certain things that even as crazy as the industry or crazy as the world is, there are certain things you have to stick with, mm -hmm. right? And those are your philosophies on how you treat people, how you listen how you try to do that right thing. And those never go out of style, regardless. And if we keep that going and people just respect one another, I know it sounds so simple, but just really respect one another. I mean, I've got an extremely dynamic team of every mindset you can possibly imagine, and they are not shy. I do not hire folks that aren't gonna push back on me, right? Mm -hmm. And they're on me all the time about something. And I love it, but it's always respectful. And we always listen. And then we make a decision as a team and we move on. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think your point about the lessons learned in this time period. I mean, COVID-19 hit us all like it was, <laughs> I don't have a good analogy for it. It's the point where it's, you know, that period, I don't think, hopefully we'll never see anything like it again. I know I'd never seen anything like it 
but I haven't been around that long. So it, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, it's been so crazy. But for me, what you mentioned about sticking to your philosophies is so important and sticking to the, the core principles in times of struggle and in times of hardship is challenging, but it's the only way you're going to get through it. Right. If you start bending those core principles, that's when things start really going downhill. I agree. So as we kind of continue, so the pace of change in IT mm-hmm. has changed a lot over the years. It's just, things get faster and faster and things are coming up. What do you see in the future? What What do you think entrepreneurs should be thinking about right now as they kind of look ahead and see how IT is changing so quickly? That's a good question. To me, I think the success of Manifest is the team that's there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's never a single person. And what's interesting about my team is that the heavy lifting kind of comes and goes with each person, right? I'm not responsible for the heavy lifting all the time, but I have my place where I where I do the heavy lifting. And then someone else picks up. That team is what it's all about. When you can get the magic amongst that team, and I love my folks. I mean, it's, and I, I make no bones about it. I mean, it is personal to me. I care about these people. I pray over them. I love them. And it leaves me vulnerable at times, right? And I've been hurt. Mm -hmm. But when you can get that right, and those folks all have a passion, and those passions can be harnessed together, okay? That's how they're going to deal with the technology piece. Because somebody's always has their nose in something, right? Mm -hmm. This is what the market's doing over here. You know, Chris speaks in conferences, obviously not since COVID, but he's been all over the world, right? Speaking at places. And he gets information. Kind of like when you were talking about, as you talk to people, you learn stuff. He's always out there networking. We're always out there talking with folks, reading things, discussing things. No, no idea is too crazy, especially, I, I didn't realize that until COVID hit, but I mean, no idea is too crazy right now to at least look at. And we talk about it and we experiment and some things work and some things don't, but we're still having a lot of fun at it. And I've been doing this a long time and I got to tell you, I know folks that have been in this industry half the time and they're not having near the fun I'm having. Even with mm-hmm. everything that's going on with COVID, I'm still loving what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, Nancy, I think uh, that's a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show, unless Josh, you got anything else? I got nothing. All right. Well, uh, our last question of the show is centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a uh, podcast about entrepreneurs and business owners, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Well, I remember telling my daughter, when she was graduating from high school, I said, there's kind of two kinds of people. Actually, there's three, but I'm going to say two. There's people who make things happen and people who watch things happen, right? The third group is the people who wonder what happened, but we'll stick with the first two. If you're going to try to make things happen, right? Mm-hmm. You're always going to be facing the wind, right? Or swimming upstream. And that's going to be taxing in a lot of different ways. It could be your time. So it's a lot of, you know, mental taxation. It can be physical where you're just out there, just, you know, you're selling, you're out there doing it. It's emotional taxation, So you're never really comfortable. But when you're working towards an idea, like when I watch my staff as they grow, okay, and as they're becoming more of a team, when I've watched my culture go from just me and my house to now having our office in Riverside, right? And I'm watching my team come together as a unit. It's uncomfortable, you know, because everybody's learning curve is different, right? And they all pivot or plateau and before they grow again. So you're always kind of doing this, right? It's It's a machine of many parts. And so it's uncomfortable because somebody's always hitting a wall at some point and you have to try to help them get through that, right? Because you don't want to see your people implode. You really don't. And so as you watch that happen and you're uncomfortable doing it, you get so much more focused on what the goal is of getting these folks where they need to be. It's almost comfortable being uncomfortable. Is that kind of weird, right? But that's really where I'm at with it. It's, you know, and I have kids too. So watching them grow, do you know what I mean? So I'm in the same mode, whether I'm at home you know, or I'm at work. And then I grow because of them, right? I'm a servant leader. So it goes, I'm at the base of the, of it, of the point 
all my folks are above me. So I'm there to kind of keep the ship anchored and stay stable and be that touchstone. And then all of them grow as an offshoot. So that's not a comfortable position to be in, but I wouldn't be anywhere else. Nancy, that's a great answer. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We appreciate your time and, and sharing your story. Well, thank you. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, you want to learn more about Nancy and her team, you can uh, learn more about them at manifestcorp.com. But uh, you want to hear more interviews just like this, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. You'll get interviews with leaders from around Columbus every week. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. 